Welcome to Cognizant, hosted by Nikki Treadway of Anchors Away Counseling and Epic Adventures Therapy. Join us every other week for interviews with various professionals, gaining insight into their healing philosophies. Enjoy. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Cognizant. Today, we are going to be learning about EMDR therapy. You may have heard of EMDR and wondered what the heck that means. What do those letters stand for? Well, today we have Janet Garcia from Inspiring Radiance. She will be answering all of those questions for us. She does a great job of explaining EMDR, how exactly it works. Uh, She takes us through an eight-phase approach and talks about what specific challenges it can be useful in treating. This is one of the best explanations of EMDR that I have heard. Enjoy the episode. Janet, welcome to the Cognizant Podcast. Thank you. My pleasure being here. So you are here to talk to us about EMDR. I am. EMDR is a modality that I specialize with, and it is a modality that I think everybody should know about, so we will be discussing in detail what that is all about. EMDR has been around for a while, which we'll talk a little bit about, but it has gotten a lot of traction uh, the last few years, and it seems like it's becoming a really effective model of, uh, of therapy for people who experience. Historically, it was for trauma, but I think you see it popping up just for everyday population. So let's start by breaking it down. What exactly is EMDR? So EMDR, um, the initials stand for eye movement, desensitization and reprocessing. And so basically what that is, is that the clinician who is trained in EMDR will be doing bilateral stimulation that could be done through eye movements or it could be done through tapping. It could be done through movement. It could be done in different ways. Um, And basically what the premise behind that is, is that the eye movement or the other forms of movement actually replicate REM sleep. And so when we go to sleep, that's kind of when our brain is processing all of our memories throughout the day. And when we've had a traumatic event or a a negative life experience and that event is not processed, the brain kind of doesn't know what to do with it. And so then it's kind of just floating around in our brain in a sense. Um, It's not stored in the narrative memory, but then as well, it's stored in the body. And so... People will have triggers, they will continue to be, have body sensations, somebody who um, may have experienced a traumatic event, anything, anytime they're triggered, they may feel, you know, a pain in their stomach, or they may feel this pressure in their chest, and that's, you know, the body holding on to those memories. And so what EMDR does is it specifically will go back and reprocess those memories, so instead of looking at it from a um, negative perspective, so an example might be someone who was in a car accident. Mm-hmm. Um, they might have, they might be operating under the, the negative belief that I'm not safe. Okay. And then when they go back and reprocess that memory, uh, they will be operating from an adaptive, a more adaptive thought such as I'm safe now. And so that's kind of what EMDR does in a nutshell. Okay. So using eye movement or any type of movement or specific movements to help with mm-hmm. reprocessing existing information that one holds. Yes, existing in a, in a memory, very in a way. very summarized way, yes. Okay. Wow. All right. So it, it seems very hands-on from a therapeutic perspective. Yes. It is um, an eight-phase approach. Mm-hmm. And so basically, in order for it to 
you to ever begin EMDR, there's a couple, like there's a preparation phases. The first phase, of course, when a client first comes in, you are going to be doing your assessment. And then we do something called target planning. And that's focused on, okay, what are the things that we want to target? Mm -hmm. And typically when a client walks in, the things that they want to target are not what en ends up being the actual target. Just because oh, they okay. may come in, um, I'm depressed. I don't know what to do with the depression. You know, they may never have disclosed initially that, you know, it was maybe they have sexual abuse history or mm -hmm. they have, um, you know, domestic violence in their past, things like that. So as we start breaking down that assessment and we really ask those kind of deep questions, we get to a point where there's, you know, maybe initially they may have had three things where we have, you know, 20 things that we need to target. Mm -hmm. So it really depends on the client. There's clients who um, we would call more acute cases. So somebody who had like a single incident trauma, somebody who had a car accident. That could be cleared up very relatively quickly. Could be you know three four sessions, sometimes even less. Yeah. Um, but somebody who has a significant history of trauma, mm -hmm. then that may take a little longer to clear up because that initial preparation, those initial preparation phases take longer because we want to make sure that they can emotionally regulate when we start opening up that trauma. We want to make sure that they can contain. We want to make sure that they're they have the resources in place before we ever start working on that trauma. Wow. Okay. That sounds really hopeful like when you present it that way, that it's so systematic. Yes. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the history of the field? Yes. So originally it started with um, Francine Shapiro. She basically had, um, the books don't tell us what type of cancer, but she basically was diagnosed with a form of cancer. Mm -hmm. And so she discovered as she was walking through a park, she was feeling better. And she didn't understand what was going on. Mm -hmm. What about walking through the park, just kind of processing her own feelings about being diagnosed and something about that experience just made her feel better. And so then she she went back and tried to replicate that. What about that particular experience made me feel better? Like mm -hmm. there is just, there's something to it. And she had noticed that the first day when she felt better, there were birds flying around. And she was kind of looking around as she was doing that. And so that led her to believe, okay, it has something to do with the eye movements. And so then again, more research developed behind the REM sleep mm -hmm. and how we, I don't know if you've ever seen like a baby when they're asleep and they have the eyes kind of moving back and forth, you know, that is a part of the natural body's way of kind of healing and processing through our events. And so that was kind of how it all began. Mm -hmm. um, and then she began to use it and of course began to um, teach it and it just kind of blew from there, evolved, uh, evolved yeah. from there. Yes. And so initially, again, it was more for PTSD tra trauma yeah. and then it's been to where, you know, just in my own field I've been able to see it you know work for about any issue depression postpartum um, I've seen I've successfully treated anxiety sexual abuse domestic violence wow. you name it, it it's it works yeah there's not really an instance where it wouldn't work yeah as long as of course they they see a an EMDR trained clinician so training is pretty extensive it for is. EMDR it is it is so in order to be able to practice EMDR there is a 40-hour initial training that you have to go to. Um, some they, they call it uh, EMDR training one and like two, or some people will take it all combined. And then after that, you have 10 consultation calls. Mm -hmm. And so um, ideally those are spread out so that you're actually practicing with clients mm -hmm. while um, practicing with somebody who is an EMDR certified consultant okay. and certified therapist. 
So that's the initial piece. If you want to go on for certification, again, it's another another 10 hours of consultation. You have to do additional advanced trainings. And so, you know, it's usually about a two-year process before you can, by the time you're finished with all of that, those trainings and consultation calls that, that you can become certified. Yeah, yeah. That's an important thing to note, right, if you're a client looking for EMDR, that yes. some individuals may identify as being certified mm -hmm. and some not. Um, some of them are working on certification and yes. um, both are relevant. Um, both types of clinicians will have lots of experience by the time they get to where they're practicing it. Yes. So, yeah. So definitely, yeah. So I, w I would just recommend for anybody who is, if it is more of an acute traumatic experience, you know, mm -hmm. definitely somebody who is EMDR, who has been trained and it doesn't necessarily have to be the advanced trainings, but if somebody who is who has had more trauma in their life and has pretty a pretty extensive history, I would say that they should probably look up somebody who is either certified or very or very close to certification. Okay. So talk about logistics for a bit. Initially, I guess I'll start with maybe the different phases. So the phase one is that kind of assessment, that target planning. We're trying to figure mm -hmm. out what things we want to target, what things we want to focus on in treatment. And it's all client-based, so they, even though as a therapist, we may know, okay, they have all these other things, but mm -hmm. if they don't, if they just want to focus on these other particular issues, then of course that's what we're going to do in treatment. Um, they will not have, of course, long-standing results because they have not cleared out the whole, mm -hmm. the whole system. And so the way that EMDR primarily works is we work on a three-prong approach, which means we're clearing out past memories, we're clearing out any current disturbances, and then we're clearing out any future actions. So we're imagining things that could happen in the future mm -hmm. based on that negative belief. So we have to clear all three of those different things for that to work. So again, that initial phase one is that assessment, that um, target planning. Then we go to phase two where we are giving them resources. We are working on developing a container mm -hmm. so that if they, when we actually get to the eye movements, if they are, um, if they have an incident where they feel like they can't just process that particular event, we want to contain that and put it in the container, like this imaginary container, so they've pre-developed that already. Okay. We give them a lot of um, different breathing techniques. Um, we give them, we work on kind of us as a therapist becoming more attuned with them. So becoming more attuned to their natural breath, the mm -hmm. eye movements, becoming attuned to, to, um, to kind of w what their needs are. So it, some may need faster eye movements, some may need slower, some okay. may need you be closer. Um, they, they could be vertical, they could be horizontal. It really depends on the client, what the client needs. And in that, um, a lot of, we try to clear out a lot of attachment issues. So, so a lot of the clients that come with it, to us have attachment issues. Mm -hmm. And so that is kind of the, the therapist becomes kind of that mode to kind of clear out some of those attachment issues because we become so attuned to kind of their natural process. Yeah. So that's the second phase. Then we go to the third phase. The third phase is um, more assessment and we're focused, okay, we are addressing, trying to identify what a negative belief is and what that negative belief, again, it could be, you know, I'm not good enough. And then mm -hmm. we want to identify what would you, how would you like to feel instead? And so that might be, you know, I am good enough. Mm -hmm. um, and so the, these uh, phase one, two, and three, it may take a couple of sessions. For some, it may all happen in one session. Mm -hmm. It really depends on kind of their needs. And for, again, for more um, extensive cases, it, you know, it may take, you know, four or five sessions. Yeah. <clears throat> And then we finally get to desensitization, and that's where we begin the eye movements. So we've already practiced all of the eye movements. They, we've already come to um, what 
before we get to phase four, we have them practice it with small disturbances, like okay. the resources that we've Makes given sense. them. Yeah. So they may have, okay, you know, I my boss yelled at me at work or whatever that might look like, and they are able to regulate based on the skills that we've already okay. taught them. So and you're so easing into it. We're easing so into it, and we want to make sure that they can regulate appropriately. And sure. so once they're able to do that, then we know, okay, now it's time to work on desensitization. Yeah. Um, Every EMDR therapist does this a little differently and it just kind of based on their own needs. Um, when it is an acute case, we want to go straight to like the big thing. So okay. if it's an acute case, it's not something significant. Um, so maybe it would be like the example I provided earlier with the car accident. Yes. And maybe the only other thing in their history was um, their mom... Um, and dad got into like a verbal argument and that was an issue for them, you know, nothing right. major. So we would immediately go to the car accident versus going back to that. Because normally when we clear out that, that um, if it's an acute issue, when we clear out that initial one, they're kind of connected and it clears out the other one. Got it. With a more extensive case in the eye movements, we would, um, with the desensitization, we would proceed slower. Mm. And so it might be somebody who had sexual abuse history, domestic violence history, and right now they are struggling with a work-related issue. We may start with a work-related issue first mm -hmm. because, again, we want to make sure that they are able to, how they're going to proceed. Everyone, yeah. after that first initial desensitization where we're actually doing the eye movement or the bilateral stimulation in other ways, everyone, everyone reacts in a different way. Some people will have a, um, may have... A negative reaction to it mm -hmm. that first one and so and it may not be anything significant but again we always give them warnings and we yeah. kind of what to expect um, me personally when I do an EMDR session especially those first few times I make myself available because you know even after uh, hours yeah. because I we don't know how they're gonna react that sure. first time you don't know what's gonna come up for them yes and it's so open. yes once we do that we do the desensitization we're working on um, we have a, we give them like a, they basically rate it on a zero to 10 score, their negative belief. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and then we have a one to seven score for the positive belief. Okay. And so basically we want to decrease the negative belief mm -hmm. to as close to a zero as possible. And we want to increase the adaptive belief as close to a seven as possible. So we're increasing, we're kind wow. of going yeah. opposite ways. And so um, they will continue to have, the body will continue to process those memories when they leave EMDR. Of course, we, we do the regulation and then we do the closure, but again, the, the, sure. na the body's natural process is to continue to process. Yeah. So they may have a restless night, they may have, you know, continued, uh, they may have bad dreams, yeah. they may have, you know, some people have had, like that first once or twice they've had effects for a couple of days where they just feel like tired and groggy sure. and they just kind of don't Their body's responding why. to it like on a systems level. Yes, so the body's responding on a systems level and the body is basically, um, it's almost as if they ran a marathon. Yeah. That is what a lot of people will explain that feeling mm. as. It's like they ran the marathon just mm -hmm. like emotionally exhausted. Mm -hmm. And so that just tells them there was energy sure. there and there was things there that needed to be cleared out. And as so, a therapist, you're seeing that as, wow, the trauma's moving. Yes. Right? Like yeah. it's starting to wiggle and here it yes. is. It's coming forward a little bit. That's a good sign. That's Even though the symptoms may be a bit negative, that's a sign that something's working. Something's working, definitely. And so what I've typically found is the first one kind of tends to be that big one. And yeah. maybe the, and, and again, that's why with somebody who has that significant trauma history, I want to tread very lightly because I don't want to open that trauma up oh, yeah. and then leave them in that very traumatized raw place. Makes sense. 
So then we, of course, um, will move on and continue to do the that uh, and we will target different things. Um, we have three different forms of EMDR. Basically, there's EMD where we keep it very contained um, on one particular thing. Like it may be, you know, the the example with the sexual abuse case that mm -hmm. I provided. Um, it may be we're focusing just on the work. And so even though the brain wants to go somewhere else, we have a technique that we keep it very focused on that particular incident so we don't allow them to go anywhere else because we want to make sure that they can manage that particular incident before we okay. allow it kind of more of a free association. And so then the the next one is EMD, what they call little r. And so basically that one kind of opens it up a little more, um, but we're still keeping it contained where it's not, it's not, um, it's not allowing it to go completely free association. And then okay. once we know that the client can regulate, they can manage through and they're able to, you know, go from week to week and be able to uh, manage through that, then we would go to the just completely um, EMDR, which would be the free association, where we may begin with a negative belief or we may be targeting one particular thing and then all these random things that just don't seem to make sense, but then they're all interconnected will come through. Okay. So sometimes they will have memories that they didn't recall, they don't remember. Yeah. It's just a, that it's subconscious coming level coming up. Wow. wow. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you've mentioned it, the eight phase approach, and you've done a great job of detailing it. Um, what about the expectation for how many sessions a client needs? Which I know is an impossible question to yes. answer, depending on whether it's the acute case or kind of the long history, like you've mentioned. But um, can you speak about typical expectations or what a range may look like? Uh, yes. So typical expectations, I would say if it is a, a more of an acute case, again, it's my um, experience has been between three to five cases, three to five sessions. Okay. Um, and then if it is more of a, a significant case, it really, it really depends on them. You know, some I've seen 12 sessions, some I've seen, you know, maybe 20 sessions. So it, it really depends on the person and kind of their needs yeah. and how slowly we want to move. And if it's pretty, a pretty significant history, you know, we want to move slowly in that process. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it sounds as if uh, client consistency with showing up for appointments is a big de determiner of success in this type of therapy. Absolutely, yes. And um, what I found is when they do that first session, that's kind of the time like, oh, like I'm not sure if I want to do this. So sometimes that's yeah. kind of when people will fall out of treatment. Mm. Um, but for people who have have worked through it, um, it's been about a three-month mark mm. once they've completed mm -hmm. treatment. And everyone who has successfully gone through it, not dropped out prematurely, has been doing uh, amazing, you know, after the one yeah. month mark, and it, that success has continued at the three month mark. Wow. Okay. And uh, recommended time between sessions? Initially, I would say weekly. 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 And then once we've, once we've made some progress, we would go to to we could go to a biweekly if that's what client. But ideally, weekly is the best with this treatment approach, just yeah. because we want to the the last phase kind of of that eight phase approach is the reevaluation and so if they don't come back the following week a lot of times they'll forget they can't they can't remember yeah. kind of what went on in between the sessions and so yeah then you lose then that we ground. lose that yeah. that yeah so we definitely want to initially weekly i imagine that it becomes easy uh, for clients once they've gotten three sessions mm -hmm. in and they're understanding it and mm -hmm. and noticing the way it's affecting them that they want to keep scheduling Yes. That appointment. Yeah. 
So I like that you provided that frame of getting over that two session hump, so to speak. Mm -hmm. If you can kind of get through those initial feelings of uh, uh, maybe discomfort that comes with that and acclimating into your learning and understanding what's happening. If you could get through that kind of initial part, then it becomes kind of self-reinforcing. Absolutely. To keep going. Sessions can vary between 60 to 90 minutes. Okay. For younger, like adolescents and younger children, which I also see in my mm-hmm. practice at times, um, they it's typically sixty sessions because sixty minutes. Sorry, um, they cannot they cannot go that ninety minutes. Yeah. That's just too long of a period. Yeah. But if if it's somebody with a significant trauma history, then usually it's a ninety minute session. Yeah. Because we want to give them that space to, if they have anything that's coming up for them that week, you know, that initial time, and then do the EMDR session, and then have that time to just kind of ground them to center them before the before they leave yeah and so we want that processing time at the end as well sure so how does EMDR compare to other therapies you have a private practice so do all of your clients come in for EMDR or do you have other modalities that you use alongside EMDR you know once a client does say eight sessions and they're feeling great do you switch to just kind of regulation and maintenance Um, tell us about what that would look like Yes, so I basically combine EMDR with other treatment approaches, and that it really depends on the client. So there may be days that the client comes in and they say, um, they say, today I can't do an EMDR session because I have all these things lined up at the, you know, later on today, and so they're just not wanting to be able to mm-hmm. kind of have that, just that to that, go there, to, to go that there place. that day. Yeah. And so we would, of course, use another treatment modality. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things that I have found that has been very effective, it was a modality that was using prior to EMDR, and it's very similar in ways, but it's a modality that clients can use on their own at home. Mm -hmm. And so it's another resource that they have, and it is EFT, the Emotional Freedom Technique. And basically with that one, it's they are tapping on meridian points on the body, Um, accessing the different energy handles that we have in the body and it's also releasing um, that negative energy that the body's holding on to while we while acknowledging those negative beliefs and kind of coming coming to a more adaptive form of thinking mm. and so it's very similar in very very different ways um, but that technique helps them when they are struggling with us so the reality is we know in therapy they're gonna have those difficult moments when they're not in the therapy room. That's when yeah. the worst happens, usually. Yes. And so this modality gives them that opportunity to be able to kind of walk themselves through that process. Um, usually what I do is I try to, once I get to know the client, I try to create specific scripts for them that are very tailored to their needs. And so it might be maybe, you know, that sexual abuse victim is having trouble sleeping with the insomnia and things like that. So I would create a a personalized script for them with insomnia. So when they do wake up and they have that nightmare and they don't know how to kind of regulate themselves, they have this tool that they can just kind of walk themselves through. And so it's been very effective kind of combining those two approaches. Yeah, that sounds like they're very complementary. Yes. Language is the same. The ideas are somewhat the same. Yes. Nice. Talk to us about what to expect for cost. So EMDR sessions typically run $120. That is my fee. Mm-hmm. And then again, I do, um, I'm not on insurance panels, but I do accept um, certain EAP panels. Okay. So they could also do EMDR through if, they ha- if they're on the EAP that I accept. Yeah. That sounds beautiful. That's really helpful. Somebody who's considering seeking EMDR therapy, mm-hmm. if you can give them just a little bit of guidance, what would you mm-hmm. say to them? 
So what I would say, first, do your research. The website for the organization that basically um, oversees EMDR therapists is Emdria. So I would recommend that you go on Emdria. They will give you basically all of the information that you need to know. Any question that you ever thought about EMDR will be there. And it will, you can look up therapists who are certified, therapists who are certified and consultants, which means they have that additional level of training. Um, and you, you can find EMDR therapists in your area. Again, um, all of the therapists that, that are listed there have paid, been have paid to be on the directory. So if a therapist hasn't paid to be on the directory, doesn't necessarily mean that they're not mm -hmm. a good EMDR therapist. But just basically, basically do your research. Make sure that the therapist who is doing EMDR, first of all, I think would be licensed. I would be ideally because they're dealing with trauma and you definitely don't want somebody who's not licensed dealing with that, that level mm -hmm. of trauma. Um, but definitely do your research. There's tons of YouTube videos out there that will demonstrate what an actually an actual EMDR session looks like. So, I mean, just view a couple so you can kind of get a sense of kind of what's going to happen in therapy and if it's something that you feel comfortable with. Mm -hmm. And then, again, make sure that you're connecting with a therapist that you do finally choose. Make sure that you feel that you are able to connect with them. And if you don't, then continue looking. You know, you want to you find a therapist that you do feel you can connect with because you're going to be doing a significant level of work with them. Nice. That's helpful. What's your practice information in case anyone wants to contact you? Okay, my practice um, is Inspiring Radiance, and I um, am currently taking new clients once you know the new year starts. I have a Facebook page if anybody wants more information. My website is um, www.JanetGarciaLCSW.com. All right, Janet. Well, it was incredible to have you on this show. I, so many people can benefit from EMDR, so I'm really hoping this episode reaches um, the ears and hearts of people who have been considering it or looking for healing in some way. And um, I just thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and expertise today. Thank you. Thank you.